0: Well, we're working through Proverbs, have been for a number of weeks now, uh, really a number of months, and as we've been working through it verse by verse, we've also taken some time during 40 days to look at subjects. And during these subjects, we've been tackling uh, the sins, the seven deadly sins as the world would call them, and we're looking at it from a different perspective, looking at the victory over those sins that are ours in Christ. Uh, Today we're talking about the sin of lust. And the reason why it's so deadly among all the other uh, deadly sins that are in the series is because typically the sins we're talking about beget other sins. So it's not just that lust is a sin, which it is, but it really moves us to sin in greater ways, in more uh, dark ways. So we're looking at those subjects and looking at how Jesus Christ gives us victory over those subjects, including the subject of lust. Everyone in this room struggles with lust in some way. Everyone in this life as well is afforded a new life in Jesus Christ, a life without sin, a life without the, uh, the chaining, the enslavement to sin. Jesus gives us that victory so although mostly it's associated with unrestrained sexual sin, envy and lust and all those lights come from a desire within us that is ungodly. It's it's this our defining words about lust as I was just working through this this past week trying to come up with a definition to share with you. Here's what I sort of settled in and it's a it's something that's not all inclusive so we could add to it if you want to later. But lust is a craving unhinged from Christ that we foster and feed, which rises up and contends against the allegiance of our hearts to God. So lust has this way of taking and elevating itself to be worshipped, an allegiance of our heart yielded to it, if left alone, it rises up. If if we foster it and feed it, it will take over its dominant way. And, of course, all that comes because we've just unhinged a desire from that which is of Christ. So many things that we would lust for are not evil in and of themselves, but that when we unhinge them from Christ, when we remove them from Him, we open up that desire in ways that God did not frame it to be opened up or beyond the boundaries that God has given to us, or we elevate it above that of God in our allegiance of our heart, in the worship of our heart, all of that is where lust takes us. Lust could be for food, it could be for social media, popularity, success, possessions, power, on and on and on. Lust could be in a lot of different ways, but most often, and most widespreadly, we think of it as a struggle that we have in sexual sin. Sin in sex that has been thought about in ways that is different from the teaching and the instruction and the way of life of Jesus. Now, the Bible has a message that is clear regarding sexuality, and that is within the Bible, sex is viewed as good, it's viewed as righteous, it's viewed as beautiful, and it's viewed as being very productive. The church need not have any qualifiers to the biblical reference of sex. It is as it is. God has made it, and it is good because He has made it. And when we stay within the confinements of God's goodness relative to sex, it is that. It is wonderful. But when we go outside of God's boundaries for it, it can be incredibly sinful and rejecting of God and His ways and His teaching. Jesus gave us some insight to this whole notion in one of His most famous of all messages, the Sermon on the Mount, and in chapter 5 of Matthew, we read this, we'll point it out, and then we're going to go over to, to Proverbs in a moment. Here's what Matthew 5 verse 27 says, it's picking up sort of midway through his message. It says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So within God's boundaries, desire is good and righteous. God is not telling us anything different within the boundaries of God, this is good and it is right, but yet outside of that, it is sinful and it is lust-filled. So what Jesus is doing in this section of Scripture is he is knocking the self-righteous pedestal right out from under people. People who uh, might have mentally rehearsed sexual acts outside the boundaries of God, but yet haven't acted on them, he's saying, if you have these thoughts, these desires, and you are premeditating, if you could just get by with it, this is what you would do. You say, well, I haven't done it, then I haven't committed the sin of adultery. Oh, he's saying it's in your heart, it is sinful. So He, he is declaring something that is greater than what people were framing it up to be. He wants us to recognize that this whole lustful desire has real catastrophic effect in our life. In fact, the consequences are so off that he says the consequence is hell. The consequence of practicing sin, the consequences of practicing lust is hell. So sexual sin begins with lust in our hearts and our minds. But it doesn't stop there often, does it? It moves further than that. But we need to come to that conclusion first, that lust doesn't move us towards sin first. Lust is the sin. And as you hold the sin, it will move you into deeper sin. See, some people feel safe because they have not acted on the lust of their hearts and minds. But Jesus is saying it's as if you've already done it. It's a big deal, in other words. So according to Jesus, lust defiles the heart, and it's that defilement that is our uh, separation from Him. And that makes the gospel really good news. What I mean by that is Jesus has come to cleanse us of our sins, and Jesus has come to give us a new heart with a new nature with righteousness tagged to it. That's that's the hope of the gospel. This message is not about us stopping being lustful. This message is about us yielding to Christ who can stop the lust in us. Who can give us a new way in a new heart. So back to Proverbs. If you remember as we were beginning Proverbs, we started in the first, the early chapters of Proverbs. And chapter 4 seemed to be a real turning point in the scripture for us in that and here we're going to go back to it a little bit to catch us up in the context chapter 4 proverbs verse 20 through 23 says this my son be attentive to my words incline your ear to my sayings let them not escape from your sight keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, let's just move back and just point out what he's doing here. If you remember at the beginning of Proverbs, he's helping his son to discover the wisdom that he's sharing with him. And he's saying that this wisdom is from God. That these are the instructions that God has given to the Father to give to the Son. And he's saying to him, be attentive to those words. Pay attention to them. Incline your ear, turn your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep your focus on them. And the reason why is because he wants them to be kept in the heart of Rehoboam. So give your attention, incline your ears, put your eyes on it, because what I'm really after, he's saying, is your heart. God is after our heart here. God is most interested In your heart and my heart being made new in Him, and His spirit nature coming within us that we might live righteously. So, this wisdom and instruction from Solomon to his son Rehoboam is of God. Now, we've learned early on in Proverbs that wisdom is a person, and His name is Jesus Christ. This wisdom is of God, incline your ear to his instruction, incline your eyes to be seeing him, look to him, be attentive to him, and if you have that with understanding, you will have wisdom, you will walk in wisdom, you'll walk in the way, and that way is a way of blessing. So understanding and walking in the knowledge of God gives us wisdom. So that's what he's wanting to impart to us. And he says to him, keep this with all your heart. Let your heart be vigilant towards you, towards this wisdom. Be careful what is allowed in your heart because what is in your heart, that which you treasure, is going to show evidence in what you do. Which brings us to the last point. Your life is going to flow from your heart. So the things that you're treasuring in your heart, your life will flow from that. The things you speak with your mouth is an overflow of your heart. So Solomon and the Lord wants us to first be attentive to his word. Get our eyes on it. Get our ears tuned to it. Let it be in our heart. Keep it with vigilance there. Walk in it with understanding. That's wisdom. And in that, you will live differently. Your life will flow differently. That's the reason why lust is a big deal. Because lust is the treasure of our heart that is sinful. Now catch this. Lust is the mental training ground for the destruction that is coming into your life. Lust is the mental training ground for the destruction that is coming to your life. We don't think about that. But there is building up of a way in your life and there's only one of two ways. There's a way of folly and there's a way of wisdom. That's the whole message of Proverbs. Lust is a building up, a mental training ground for you to have folly in your life and folly is going to end in destruction and death. So if you let lust hang out in your heart, you let lust hang out in your mind, it will move you to destruction. That's why teens who don't really understand that pornography is a big deal or sexting is a big deal. They don't understand that what they're doing is building up a way that is going to end in destruction. They might say, Pastor, a little pornography isn't going to be that big of a deal. A little sexting back and forth with my friends is not a big deal. What you don't see is the destruction to come. You don't see the besetting sin that is growing in you. You don't see the future where your marriage is messed up in your mind, where intimacy is messed up in your mind because you have all this that you've been guarding and lust in your heart. You don't know the divorce that is impending. You don't know the heartbreak that is coming. You don't know the kids that wonder if you still love them. You don't know all that destruction that's coming down the road. But people who are older than you understand, if I could do it over again, I would start differently back then. Because they know there's a path to destruction that begins back then. Lust is that training ground for the destruction that is soon to come. If you're hanging out in lust, even if you're married, you're hanging out in lust outside the boundaries that God has established for you, then destruction is coming. The marriage is faltering The heartbreak is certain. The glory of God is diminished in you. The purposes of God are not complete in you for your life. The vision that God had for you cannot be accomplished while that's going on. You've brought destruction in your life. And Jesus has come to say, I've come to free you from that. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to live with that. You don't have to have that in your heart. And that's the whole nature of this text of Proverbs chapter 4. And soon we'll look at Proverbs 23. It's the whole nature of that text. It's about our hearts. That's the reason why romance novels and racy movies and checking women, women out in public and seeing all kinds of the sort, they're destructive to us. They defile the heart and Lust is the gateway for the path that will always end in destruction. The man might think that flirting is benign, and the woman may think that dressing provocatively is fun, but both reveal hearts that are given to lust and are distant from God and bring destruction in life. If wisdom in the heart is the spring of life, then lust is the deadly undertow that draws us away from God forever. Proverbs 23 says much the same thing. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors. The word there is unfaithful increases the unfaithful among mankind. I'm going to do this in reverse the way I've got it in your handout, but I think it'll make clearer sense. When Solomon is mentioning the prostitute or the immoral woman, he's not talking about a single woman, although it could be. He's not talking about a single individual. He's using that as a personification for what is sexual sin So all the sexual sin that he's warning his son about and God by his spirit is warning us about is identified in this immoral woman or this prostitute. So don't don't just narrow it down because the majority of us in this room would would just kind of check out for a moment saying, hey, I'm never going to hire a prostitute. This is not about me. That term is used for sexual sin outside of what God has given to us in its beauty. It's the ugliness the counterfeit of the beauty of God that he's given to us in intimacy between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship for life. It's outside that. And he says to his son, she is like a trapper's pit that's dug a deep pit, covered it over so that it can't be seen easily disguised and someone without noticing it will fall into the pit unto their death or a narrow well that has been dug and not covered over in a way that would keep people from falling into it instead somebody that's not paying attention might fall into the narrow well now we've seen that on tv before in rescues that take days and days with the help of other people you fall in a narrow well and you're going to die So the imagery is pretty specific there, isn't it? What he's saying is, if you're going to engage in this sexual sin, you've got to know this is your death. This is going to be the death of you spiritually. It's going to be the death of you emotionally. It's going to be the death of you physically. This is going to end in death. So he's warning his son, and before he warns, he says to him, now give me your heart. Because Solomon knows that if his son's heart is given to lust, then he is already on the move towards the prostitute. The illicit sex, the fornication, the adultery. He knows that if his heart is given to that, he has already opened the gate for that pathway which will be in destruction. So long before he acts on it, he is given to it in his heart or in his thoughts. So give me your heart, Solomon says. Let your eyes observe my way. So what we have in our heart will dictate the way we see. For the one whose heart is given to lust, they see people differently than God sees people. They see people not in the image of God. They see an object for their lust. Have you known people like that? They view people in relation to the objectivity of their lust. And man, does that ever belittle God's greatest creation that he says, let us make man in our image. Such a belittling of the apex of God's creation where he put his own likeness in us. You see people really different than than God does. So Solomon is saying, the Lord is saying to us, give me your heart, and from the heart that is given to me, you'll see things differently. You'll see people differently. You'll see the opportunities for righteousness. So a heart given to God and his wisdom is a restraining of the eyes, and it has to go in that direction. God is not asking us give me your eyes first so that I might have your heart. He's not asking you to restrain your sight so that your heart will be different. He's saying, let me have your heart and I'll make you see differently. There's real hope in that. That Christ, the transformer, the one who can give us a new heart will transform us in a way that we see differently. So if you're continuing in your sin, you might be doubting these words right now. You might be hearing the The uh, tempter says, it's not a big deal. You know in the end you're going to be fine. You're just having a little fun here and there. Not a big deal. In the end, God is full of love. God is full of grace. In the end, you'll be fine. You said the prayer. You were baptized in the pool. Your membership is on the roll. You'll be fine. And my friends, God is full of love and God is full of grace. But He is also full of justice and He is full of wrath. And unless you know him in his fullness, you'll miss the opportunity to know him fully. Know God. Give him your heart. Let him transform you from the inside out. He is loving. He is gracious, but full of justice and full of wrath against sin. The good news is that Jesus will make everything different for those who are willing to walk away from their sin. He will free them from it. He will sanctify them, make them holy. In other words, he'll take them out of the sin and move them unto righteousness. He will do so by giving them a new heart and putting his Holy Spirit into the place of their new heart. That is God's work, that he would transform us. And that work should be evident in our lives. One of the most challenging passages in the Scripture is the little epistle, 1 John. And of the challenging words in that, probably these out of chapter 3 are most alarming. It says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, the big deal of that is verse 5. You know that Christ appeared. In order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. who are children of god and who are the children of the devil whoever does not practice righteousness is not of god nor is the one who does not love his brother so if you've been a made if you've been made alive in christ then he has enabled you to practice righteousness and reject sin and he demands you and me to do so that doesn't mean that you will forever be sinless it does mean though that you will hate your sin and uh, reject its presence in your life and press towards with your heart the righteousness of Christ. You won't be perfect in it, but you will hate it. You'll reject it and not embrace it. Some people claim to have Christ and at the same time they embrace sin. However, God makes a clear statement. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's just a scripture. So we need rescue. Anybody deny that? That our heart needs rescue. We need a new heart. We need a new nature. We need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. We need a heart that's receptive. That's the reason why Christ has come to give us a new heart. Not an improved heart. Not a changing heart. Christ has come to give us a new heart. And with that new heart, everything can be different. We just need to settle there in that truth. So let me give you the ways that God is setting you free from lust and other sins. Number one, he does so by being born of the Holy Spirit. He invites you and me to be born again from the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus, and he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that was born of the Spirit is spirit. You Must be born again. Your flesh, where sin resides, as Paul would say, cannot overcome the sin. You need the Spirit to be transformed. And the way for the Spirit, your Spirit to be transformed, is for you to be born again. Not of flesh and blood, but born from heaven, born of holiness. You need to be born again. And when we are born again, it transforms us. Of course, we cannot save ourselves from sin. We can't save ourselves from judgment. We can't save ourselves from death. We can't change our lives on our own. We can't do anything about our lustful ways. But by faith in Jesus Christ that is surrendering to him, he can transform us from the inside, giving us a new heart, a new heart. Nature, a holiness and a righteousness that we could not achieve on our own. And with that newness, He can express that righteousness through us. He can transform the way we think, the way we see, the way we live. So every person needs a new heart and a new nature. And Jesus gives us that opportunity. Colossians 3 talks about that, saying, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. But now you must put them all away, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the, cre- the image of its creator. So this newness comes from the creator. Let our life be lived and the knowledge be had about the Creator. This new heart given to us will move us more and more to God. So be born again, born of the Holy Spirit. That's the only beginning place. You don't begin by, let me get my attitude right, let me get my thoughts right, let me unplug the internet, let me stop with these DVDs or MP3s or whatever it is that you're listening to, watching. It's not that. The start is, oh God, there's something wrong with my life and I can't fix it. I need you to give me a new one altogether. That's where it starts. That's the glory of the gospel. And did you know he died to provide that for you? Jesus died a righteous man to provide for you and me forgiveness of our unrighteousness and the gift of his righteousness. He wants you to have that. But you can't have that and have the sin at the same time. you got to have to make a choice. Be born again. And then as you're born again, purpose to be spiritually healthy as a Christian. Just purpose to be spiritually healthy. This part of what 40 days is all about. It's a testing period unto health. Now among the many encouragements that you and I get from the doctor, there's two that probably is most dominant that we hear from the doctor. You probably can name them without me mentioning to it. It's good diet and regular exercise. Does your doctor not tell you that all the time? It's about diet and exercise, Randy. And I'm like, now how much did I just pay you to tell me about diet and exercise again? It's always about diet and exercise. And they even coach you about that. They tell you, here's the things you ought to do. Here's the way for you to be healthy. Number one, Randy, make sure you're getting good sleep. Make sure you're resting well. Make sure you get Eight hours of sleep at night. And then your diet needs to consist of leafy greens and lots of colored vegetables and a variety of food, uh, fruits, and legumes, and nuts, and lean proteins, whole grains. It's all that kind of food. And it's Randy, you need to elevate your heart rate. You need to increase your heart rate at 50 to 85% above its norm, and you need to hold that heart rate, elevated heart rate, for 30 minutes through aggressive cardiovascular exercise. And do that every day. If you can't do it every day, do it as many days of the week as possible. And then they typically talk about doing some kind of workouts with resistance exercising. If you go to a trainer, they'll tell you, oh, we're going to concentrate on pulls and pushes. And you know there, you've, you've been there where you've Pushed against things, and you've pushed this way against things, or with your legs, you've pushed against things. And he says, We're going to do pull exercises where you're pulling things, pulling things, pulling things. You get it? All those exercises are about pushing and pulling. And of course, what they want you to do is do them over time at great significant resistance, because somehow the resistance tears the tissue of your muscles. And if you allow them to heal, the muscles will grow bigger. And the more bigger the muscles are, the stronger they are, the more ability you have. So they tell you all those things about health. Everybody agreeable, those are the things to good health. I'm not asking you to do them. (laughs) I'm not asking you to make a commitment about it this afternoon. I'm just saying you agree with me. Okay, we agree together that those are the things, not that we're willing, but those are the things that bring us good health. All right, if that's true physically, how much more do you think they are spiritually? That we rest in Jesus Christ, resting in the fact that you do not have to work your way to heaven and you do not have to work to keep the reservation that has been made for you by Jesus Christ. You can rest in Jesus Christ. And you can have healthy intake. What you're dieting on ought to be healthy. The word of God. Have meals throughout the day that are healthy for you. So we're eating meals throughout the day that are healthy. And we're gaining in strength in that food that has been given to us. Same thing that's happening in 40 days You're getting up in the morning and you're reading God's Word. You're spending some afternoon time reading God's Word. You're spending time in the evening reading God's Word. And throughout the day, you are meditating on Scripture. That is healthy intake. That is healthy food for you. You're dwelling and eating in the body of Christ and in the richness of the Word of God. And certainly, there is this idea of an elevated heart that is spiritually good for us, too. We'll call it lifting our heart to God. Every day, choosing to lift our heart, living in a glorious way unto God, praising enthusiastically to God, lifting our heart to Him. Are you lifting your heart to Him? And are you pulling and pushing in resistance? Are you pulling to the things of the Holy Spirit? And are you resisting the devil? Here's what I know by Scripture the more you pull to the things of the Spirit, and the more you resist. The enemy who comes against you, the stronger you will be. When temptation comes to you and you have been pulling to the Spirit and resisting the devil, when temptation comes, you will be more strong to overcome the temptation and stay in the healthy place of your heart, which is filled with righteousness and holiness. So be the person who makes the intentionality to be spiritually healthy. Just choose to be spiritually healthy as you are choosing, I pray, to be spiritually, uh, physically healthy as well. And then practice the five second rule. John Piper notes a five second rule that when lustful or tempting thoughts come to us, we have about five seconds to deal with it. We're either going to allow it to settle and grab us, or we are going to resist. Push it away. you got about five seconds to do that. And he literally says, in that moment, when the thought comes, he has disciplined himself to say, No, that thought has no business in my mind, and I push against it in the name of Jesus. That's what he does. I would say, push against it in the name of Jesus. Literally, you might have to say that out loud. No, you cannot settle here. I resist you in the name of Christ. And Then I would just lift up a quick prayer. Now, Holy Spirit, you are my helper. Help me in this moment. The scripture says that we will always be given a way of escape. And I think in that moment of resistance, not letting that get into us in that five-second period, resisting it and moving towards the things of the Spirit, He will provide for us richly. I've tried that over the last few days, and I can tell you it works. You can control your thoughts. You can control your eyes. You know why? Because God has given you a new heart if you're in Christ. The old has passed away. Now the old paths of the neurons, sure, they've still worn out a well-seasoned path. But the new heart and the Spirit who indwells your heart gives you the opportunity to walk victoriously. That's the that's the wonder of the gospel. That's Jesus' work. And then feast on the word of God and the bread of life. Feasting on the Bible. Feasting on the truth. Meditating on, on them. And feasting in Jesus, the bread of life. We need regular intake of the Bible. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to concentrate on proclaiming Him. We need to know that He's coming again. And we need to know that we're going to be held accountable for all things done in this body. We need to feast on those kind of truths. And the more we read, the more we contemplate the truths of the Bible, the more our desires are going to be like Jesus, the more our convictions are going to be like His, the more our ways will be like His, the more our thoughts will be like His. Read, focus, eat, And have nutrition from this, the Word of God, as if it is the bread of your survival. That's putting on the new nature. Being renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. How are you going to know your Creator if you don't read Him? How are you going to know your Creator if you don't read what He has given to you in the instruction? How are you going to know Him unless you read about Him? Know your Creator and you'll become more like Him. That's what the Bible says. And finally, cultivate your capacity to know and enjoy Christ and His glory. If there's one you're going to have to chew on, it's going to be that one right there. Cultivating in us a greater capacity to know Christ, to love Him, enjoy Him, and His glory. There's a text, a scripture in, Colossians chapter 2 that I think is worthy of notation as we're talking about lust and the things that we might do to try to impede the lust. God has not made it so that in Christ he would die on the cross and be resurrected from the grave in order to impede lust. Christ has died on the cross and rose from the grave to give us freedom from lust. To set us free from lust. Not to slow it down. Not to impede it. Not to in any way encumber it. He has come to set us free from it. It's the joy of knowing Christ. Here's what Colossians 2 verse 20 says. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world. Why as if you are still alive in the world do you submit to regulations do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. You know what he's saying there? You're trying to get things different in your life with rules, rules that come from religion, rules that come from elemental forces that are not eternal, rules that are Don't eat, don't touch, don't taste, don't look. Listen, if you're thinking this message is about you and me imposing rules in our life, it's the wrong direction. That's what Paul is saying. It's not about the rules. These things have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, that is the, the working against our flesh and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The rules of religion have no value in stopping the flesh. You with me on that? Whatever you think I'm giving you as a rule today, it has no value in stopping the flesh, the indulgence of your flesh. You're not going to come away from lust by putting rules in place. I don't like the chapter break where it is in chapter 2 to chapter 3. Because I think the first verse of chapter 3, you just flip to that next page and here's what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So what he's saying there, it's not about the rules. You're not going to govern your lust by rules. Instead, know Jesus, love Jesus, enjoy Jesus. Find a greater hope in Jesus. Find greater glory in Jesus. Find greater pleasure in Jesus. You focus there, and you won't need all the rules. Now, some of the rules can be helpful, but the rules without focus of Jesus, the rules without a new heart, are nothing. But you put the new heart in place. You put your sight on Jesus. You focus on Him and the wonder of His glory, and you put some of these other things in in your life, like accountability partners and no... Uh, internet without filter. You put those things in your life then, and my friends, you're on a right right path of wisdom. I'll end with one more verse. It's Jesus' words. He says, the kingdom of heaven, all that we're talking about, this wonder of righteousness, this life and holiness, this grandeur of glory, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Here's what he's saying. When you discover Jesus, when you enjoy Jesus in the presence of Jesus, when you are in wonderment of his glory and you see the significance of that, you'll sell everything else out as rubbish in order to have that. Now, if you're one of these, And we all have a tendency to be like this without the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. If you're one of these who says, I want Jesus, but I want that other stuff too. The Bible says you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways. If you're thinking you want Jesus, but you want the practice of lust, Jesus says you ought to pluck out your eye. It'd be better for you to go into heaven without an eye than to go into hell with all your body. The hyperbole there is this. Nothing, nothing is comparable to the glory of Christ. Nothing is comparable to the life that he wants to give you. Nothing is comparable to the new nature that is available to us. Nothing is comparable. We would be willing to give up everything in order to have it. Is less going to be an issue for you? Probably so. Does it have to have victory over you? Absolutely not. I was sort of amused by a conversation that I had with a lady who's well into her 80s, near 90 years old. We were talking not long ago and the subject of lust came up. I don't even remember how the subject came up. We were talking about, uh, I think, the, the workings of the world against the church and the family. And that subject came up. And to my surprise, she said, If it weren't for the Holy Spirit working in me, I would be given to it. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're a near 90-year-old lady. What are you talking about? At one part, I'm like, okay, I'm 40 years your junior. Is that what I've got to look forward to? I thought there'd be some point you cross the line like, okay, free from that. (laughs) In reality, the freedom doesn't come in some age. The freedom comes with a new heart. The sanctifying work of the Spirit and me saying, do that work in me. And all along, the Spirit saying, now, give me your heart and you'll see differently. In your mind's imagination, you'll see differently. When that person passes in front of you, you'll see differently. Give me your heart. Incline your ear to my words. Let your eyes see my truth and you'll see things differently. Whether you're 54, 14, or 80-something, that truth holds every time. That's the gospel. You want freedom? Come to Jesus. Live in Jesus. Seek Him, and He'll give it to you. Now pray with me. In this room, Lord, our people of Various sorts, some who are saints of God, made saints by Christ and his wondrous work on the cross. Others came into this place wondering what this is all about and if life could ever be changed. Some are old, some are young. The gospel is afforded to all of us and I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you would give freedom with a new heart to all people in this room. I pray it would bring glory to Jesus and the goodness of life to each of us. In the name of Christ I pray, amen.